Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much. So it's great to see all of you today. Um, some of you didn't know that you had to know seven languages to really fit in around here. Um, <clears throat> I'm already halfway there. I know English and Australian and Canadian, and I'm working on a few others. <laughs> so if you've been with us for the last three months or so, you know that uh, we've been uh, talking about uh, what it is to, to know our identity in Christ. And the, the series that we did was called Who Am I? And, and today we're, um, we're shifting gears uh, because it's Palm Sunday, we're going to, instead of looking at our identity or consider what our identity is, we want to look at the identity of Jesus and consider that today. And uh, so to set us up, what I'd like to do is, is read a passage of scripture from Matthew. And if you want to look in your Bible, you're welcome. I think it'll probably be posted here as well, uh, so you can read it from the screen. But it's Matthew uh, 21, uh, verses 1 through 10. And it's a very familiar passage. You've probably read it before. But uh, this is what we want to build on today. So here's what it says. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. Uh, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and uh, he, will, he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went ahead of them, or him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? So the entire message that I'm going to work on today is based on those last three words from this passage. Who is this? And when we think about Jesus and his life and his teachings and his ministry and his healings and his unconditional love for people, who is he? Who is he? We have to ask, who is this man? Was he the son of Joseph and Mary? Or was he the son of God sent to take away the sins of the world? That is a question that all of us have to grapple with and ultimately come to terms with. Was he just a good man or a great teacher or was he God incarnate? Max Lucado suggests that the what is answered by the who. What we think about Christ can't be separated by who he is. And I find it interesting that Jesus never asked what we thought about his teachings. He never asked our opinions on his 
social positions, or his ability to lead people. After three years of ministry and hundreds of miles, thousands of miracles, and all of his teachings, Jesus asks the question, who? Who? He wants us to ponder not what he has done, but who he is. Now, over the past 16 years, I've had the opportunity to walk with dozens of people who were coming to the end of their earthly existence. Visited them in the hospitals. And what I found over and over again is that when a person recognizes that the end is near, they become hyper-focused on the things that matter most. Hyper-focused on the things that matter most. You see, impending death, it distills the vital. The vital things. The temporal and the trivial things are overlooked or forgotten completely. And only the things that really matter come into focus. And that's an important thing for us to know because when we think about Jesus in his last week, A lot of the things that he did and the things that he focused on should give us clues into who he is or what it was that he really represents. You see, Jesus knew the finality of Friday. He knew it. He wrote the last chapter with his father before it even happened. He heard the final chorus before it was sung. And each of his steps were calculated. Every step, every act, predetermined, premeditated. And Jesus knew what had to be done. He knew what had to be done. He was born for this, literally. And nothing would cause him to deviate from his redemptive plan. Nothing. Because of his love for you and me. Now, do you know what you were born to do? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, here we are. You know, we have these lives in New York. We have jobs. We have families. We have friends. But what is it that we were born to do? What is your calling? What were you made for? Well, one thing for sure is that you were made to glorify God. You were made to glorify God. Are you living every day to glorify God? Are you you living every day with that in mind? Is every moment... Premeditated with the things of God in mind. You see, every day you're going to be presented with choices, many, many choices. And the question you'll have to ask yourself is will you choose to glorify God or are you going to glorify yourself? You see, every single choice that you make is either going to move you closer to God. Or further away. Closer in alignment with the things that God created you to do or further away. Every choice. 
Now, the last week of Jesus started with fanfare. It started with fanfare. All four Gospels tell us the same story about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And all four Gospels report that he entered as a king. And that there were great multitudes of people singing Hosanna and and laying their cloaks before him and waving palm branches. But where were they a few days later when Jesus was rejected and scorned and abandoned by his closest friends and then nailed to a cross? Where were they? When Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, a great multitude spread their cloaks before him. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road, shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, the whole city was stirred. Everyone was asking the question, who is this? And when Jesus entered the city, he could have gone anywhere that he wanted to go. There were a myriad of options for him, but he chose to go to the temple, directly to the temple. And he looked around at what was happening there, and then later that night, he made his way back to Bethany, where he spent the night. And the following morning, Jesus left for Jerusalem again. And on his way, he passed a fig tree. And I I think this is a very interesting part of the story. He passed a fig tree... He saw the fig tree in a distance. He came up to the fig tree, and then he cursed it. You remember that? The first time I read that passage, I thought, well, that's kind of an odd assertion into the story. But if you read on and you, and you learn about what Jesus did next, it makes perfect sense. You see, when Jesus got to the fruit tree, the fig tree he realized that there was nothing edible there for him. From a distance, it looked like it might offer something that would nourish him. But when he got there, the fruit was not ripe. And so it had nothing to nourish him. It just wasn't edible. Well, when Jesus was making his way to the temple, from the distance, it looked amazing. It looked like it would have something to nourish his soul. Something that would be life-giving. But when he got there, he found anything but that. What he found was that the temple was being led by men who didn't know God. Men who turned it into a marketplace. Animals were being sold for sacrifices. And because taxes were due at that same time... Foreign money was being exchanged at ridiculous rates. Several years ago, um, when I was just entering college, I had the opportunity to spend a few weeks traveling through Europe. And it was before the Euro, so that will date me a bit. And I remember one night I was, tra- I w- I was traveling uh, from, from France to Italy. And I, I left on a Saturday night, and I, and I arrived, you know, in the morning on Sunday. And 
I had in my wallet American dollars, English pounds, French francs, but I didn't have any lira. And so I couldn't buy anything. I couldn't get a place to stay. I couldn't buy food. I, I really couldn't do anything. And the banks were all closed because it was Sunday. And, uh, you know, the ATM machines were, you know, fairly new at that time. And I remember I had a debit card, and I put my debit card in there, and it did not accept it. So I was walking around and around and around with this backpack on, looking for a place to exchange my money, and none of the stores were allowing me to do that. None of the banks were open. And finally, after hours, I found this place that was willing to exchange my money, and and they charged like this incredibly absorbent amount for the exchange rate, and I was happy to pay it. I was happy to pay it because what else would I do? I had no other options. Well, the money changers at the temple were gouging these pilgrims, charging these crazy exchange rates, and these people had come there for the purpose of worshiping God. And the people that were running the temple should have been encouraging that. But instead, they were trying to make a quick buck, and Jesus wasn't having it. Jesus saw that, and he became irate, and he started turning tables over, chasing the animals out, chasing the money changers out. And you can bet that the authorities and the and the, and the religious leaders were not happy about this because they were all getting their cut. But why do you think Jesus cared so much? Why would he do this? Well, during this season of Lent, one of the things that we're challenged to do is to check our motivations for everything that we do. And... We have to ask ourselves as a church, are we here to promote our own agenda or are we here to promote God's agenda? And if Jesus came to Trinity, would there be tables to overturn? Now, I'm sure there were thousands of people that saw Jesus doing what he was doing in this moment. And you can bet that the question on their mind, among others, was, who is this? Who is this? What gives him the authority to come into the temple and turn these tables over? Now, later that evening, Jesus returned to Bethany, where he was staying with his friends. Uh, You might remember them, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they threw him a dinner party. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal having Jesus staying at your house because his reputation preceded him. He was known already throughout the whole region as a healer, someone that was a man of God, someone that could do the supernatural. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And, and now Jesus is in his house. And so you can bet all their friends were, were there, their, their neighbors. They wanted to see this man and what he was about. Now, as they were having this meal, Martha was doing most of the cooking. While Mary 
Her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening, trying to get as much as she possibly could, trying to learn as much as she could from this incredible man. Now, we know that Martha was pretty irritated by this, right? You can kind of imagine the scene. Um, Martha's sweating and cooking and working, you know, in the kitchen and running back and forth between the kitchen and bringing out guacamole and chips and drinks and, you know, going back. And every time she comes out into the living space, she sees her sister Mary sitting there on her butt in front of Jesus. And you can imagine that she was glaring at her and and speaking things under her breath, right? You can picture the scene. Eventually, she, she got so upset, she went to Jesus and she said, aren't you going to do anything about this? You know, why don't you tell her to come into the kitchen and help me? But of course, Jesus defended Mary because Jesus understood that what Mary was looking for was far more important than the food or the preparations that were taking place. And then Mary did something really unexpected. Really unexpected. She brought out a vial of perfume. And it says in the scriptures that it was pure nard. And if you're not familiar with nard, nard was a a rare burial spice from India. And it was very expensive. Uh, So expensive, in fact that we're not even sure how Mary could have acquired a vial of nard like this. We know that she had about 12 ounces and that it was worth 300 denarii. Now, when you read that, you might say, hmm, okay, 300 denarii, not sure what that is, and you move on. Well, to give you some perspective, a denarius was typically a day's wage And so in today's economy, the average person, let's say the average person makes $25 an hour or roughly $200 a day. If we multiply that by two or by 300, the current value of that bottle of nard would have been about $60,000. $60,000 bottle of perfume. And she took it and she opened it up and she poured the entire bottle over the feet of Jesus and then she washed his feet with her hair in front of everyone. Now, some of the disciples were absolutely shocked that she would do something like this. I mean, just the waste to pour out something that was that valuable. But Jesus defended her because Jesus knew who he was. And I I don't think it's coincidental that the perfume happened to be nard, an ointment that was used for burial. Now, Mary certainly had no idea what was coming later that week, but Jesus knew. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit knew, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit that prompted Mary to do what she did. So what can we learn from that? Well, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is, 
Do we need to be more generous with our stuff? Are we clinging to things that God would like for us to use for his glory? You see, when Jesus was taken prisoner later in the week, and he was led to the cross, his clothes and his skin would have smelled like nard. Are you listening closely to the Holy Spirit? Would you recognize the still small voice of the Holy Spirit? Can you hear his prompting when he's encouraging you to do something that you might not otherwise do? Or are you relying on conventional wisdom? On Thursday night, we know that Jesus and his disciples met in the upper room for what we frequently call the Last Supper. We know that in that space he was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you thought was your friend? You see, there's almost no greater pain. And yet Jesus was willing to submit himself to even that because he was looking beyond the pain to a future where he could fully embrace you and me because of his love for you and me. And when Jesus left the upper room with his disciples, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus asked his disciples to stay up and pray with him because, again, Jesus knew what was coming. And, of course, we know that his disciples couldn't keep their eyes open. Soon after Judas arrived, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss and turned him over to the religious leaders and the soldiers, and the disciples were all scattered. And soon after, we know that Peter denied Christ three times, as was predicted. And since the high priest, Caiaphas, could not condemn Jesus to death, what he did was he sent him to Pontius Pilate, because Pontius Pilate had the authority to have Jesus put to death. And that's really what the high priest and the religious leaders wanted. Of course, Pilate couldn't really find anything that Jesus had done to warrant such, you know, an extreme sentencing. And so he passed him off to Herod. Herod asked him a bunch of questions and then sent him back. Early that Friday morning, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, who could have stopped the madness. I think Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew it, but this was a political matter, and his own position was at stake. And also, perhaps more importantly, if Pilate had given Jesus a pardon, it wouldn't have aligned with the prophecy. Pilate had to turn Jesus over so the prophecy could be fulfilled. You ever have things happen to you that just don't make sense? Maybe you found yourself asking God, why would you allow this to happen to me? 
But here's the thing that we see all throughout Scripture over and over again. Even when people do things that are meant for evil, God has a way of turning them into something beautiful, something redemptive, something greater, something that brings even more glory to God than what would have occurred otherwise. And because of that, we can trust Jesus, we can trust God even in the midst of chaos or madness. So in the final hours of Jesus, we know that he was beaten, that a crown of thorns was pressed upon his head, that he was forced to carry uh, a heavy cross uh, to Golgotha, the place of the skull where he would be crucified. And as he was dying, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's calling out to his Father in heaven. And when he died, we know that the sky grew dark. There was a great earthquake. And the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And even the Roman soldiers that had crucified him and witnessed his death turned to one another and said, surely this man was the Son of God. Here we see the very men that had crucified Jesus coming to faith. Their eyes were open and they saw Jesus for who he really was. We should never, ever underestimate what God can do. What the Holy Spirit can do. So back to the question, who is this? Who is this? The way I see it, we have two choices. We can either accept Jesus for who he says he was, the Son of God, or we can reject him. We can reject him. Now, most of us here in this room today have chosen to accept him, but are we actively engaging most people in our lives with this same question? Are we helping people to work through this question? Are we living what we believe, or do we still have doubts? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis speaks to this when he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And that is, I am ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept him or his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on one level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil from hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or even something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. 
or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. In his grace and in his mercy and in his love, Jesus invites each of us, each of us, to discover his true identity, to answer the question, who is this? He wants to answer that question so that it is burning in your heart, so that you have no doubts whatsoever. And as we reflect on this final week of Jesus, we're faced with the all-important question, who is this? Who is he for you? My hope is that the events of this final week will open your eyes, open our eyes, to the true identity of Jesus, and that we will not miss the significance of Easter. Because none of this would have happened if it were not for the love of Jesus. If even before the beginning of time, Jesus hadn't envisioned you and everything you are and said, I will go to any length to ensure that you can spend eternity with me. That's how much I love you. Even if it costs me everything, I will go there for you. And in return, all we have to do is discern who he is. And when we recognize who he is, simply invite him to be your Lord and Savior. And when you do, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be alive in you, in everything that you do, and you will complete the task that God has set before you to complete because you've been empowered to do it. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you.